Hey, my friends, welcome to Tea Talk with Ty, the podcast that encourages you to take a sip and chat about life, wellness, love, and everything else in between. <laughs> I'm your host and new BFF, Ty Wonder, and I'm cheering you on to greatness. So grab a cup of coffee, tea, or whatever you prefer to sip on, get cozy, and let's chat. All right, welcome to Tea Talk with Ty. Today we have a very special guest, Kevin Milfeld. I had to make sure I say that right. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, it's my honor to be here. It's so good to connect with you after all these years. We have quite a history. Absolutely. So with saying that, we might as well go ahead and and give a little bit of that history real quick before we get into anything else. You want to share it? You want me to share it? Um... Let's both share. Let me hear your version. (laughs) So my version, um, my ex-husband decided to, uh, it was time for us to to move from where we were in North Carolina and move to Virginia to play for a church. And I'm like, oh my God, wait, what? Um, (laughs) And I went one service and absolutely fell in love with the church, with the pastor, with the staff. Um, and I, I grew, it was, it was difficult to not grow attached to everyone involved inside of the church because it, it just felt like home. Um, and then finding out that the pastor was a Marine and down to earth, it's just like, wait, what? So I absolutely, um, adore your stand, your spirit, your realness, um, if you watch his social media pages, he's absolutely hilarious. Okay. One, one of his videos went viral. The, the, um, one of the Corona ones he did went viral. It was pretty funny. Um, but so that's been, oh God, that was before Talia was born. So we're talking over 10 years now. I just realized that. Yeah. It's been a minute. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you guys were such a blessing there. And it was interesting because you know, we, I think if you were to walk in the doors of that place, when you guys came, if you didn't see somebody like me sitting on the stage or whatever, you would look around, you would almost wonder, like, I wonder, you know, what, what the color of the leadership is. It was, that was a beautiful thing about that season of strong tower. It was, it was almost like we were ahead of our time and able to be in a very racially biased city, Fredericksburg, Virginia, Mm -hmm. one of the bloodiest battlefields of the Civil War, where white people dress up on the weekends as soldiers in Confederate and Union uniforms and go out and reenact Civil War uh, battles. It was just a very unique expression of um, what God is able to do if we let him to do, if we let him do it in our lives, he's able to do it. And, um, you have automatically a connection with you because of the Marine Corps kind of thing. And, um, you know, I remember, uh, some more personal, you know, type of uh, connections uh, with you personally when, uh, you know, you had to go through a very painful season, um, in your life and stuff. And, uh, I think you even came and stayed with Daphne and I for a few days. I did. did. It was was a few weeks actually. (laughs) I was like, I know they're ready for me to get out their house. 
uh, it was just a, was a very unique and interesting time. So, you know, I love you and I'm, and I'm happy to be on uh, your podcast. I'm really grateful for your voice and what you're doing. So I'm ready to dive in whenever you are. Absolutely. And I, before we go any further, I must say I have had the toughest time with finding a church home because I compare every church and um, to Strong Tower and every pastor to you. And it's like, mm, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. But luckily here in Charlotte, we have um, Elevation. That's that's as close as I'm going to get. And, um, you know, because Strong Tower to me at that season looked like the world. Yeah. You know, there was a little bit of everybody there. Um, and so that's kind of one of those things I've looked for. If I don't have it, it's like, oh, well, no, that's not going to work. So, but yeah, let's get into the interview now. It's so good to go, so good to chat with you. Um, let the listeners know uh, who you are, where you're from, and where you live now, and your ethnicity because they can't see you. Um, I am. Again, my name is Kevin Mulfield. I've been doing full-time ministry for about 26 years now and uh, transitioned out of Virginia back in 2012 and went basically itinerant for a number of years and traveled to a lot of different places, uh, kind of working behind the scenes in the church, helping with consulting and management and things like that. And about a year ago, I moved back. I was living in South Africa. I was pastoring there for a couple of years. I moved back to uh, the States and uh, took the leadership of a church in Tallahassee, Florida, which is where I am now. So I'm the lead pastor of a place called New Hope Christian Center here in the Tallahassee area. And I am uh, a Caucasian guy. I'm now, um, uh, you know, unfortunately uh, divorced and single. And, uh, you know, life happens to people in the pulpit as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, one of the reasons why I am passionate about being more authentic and more transparent is because so many times we try to uh, sanitize our um, spirituality and what, what our appearances in the pulpit and things like that. So I would just say that I'm uh, I'm a real life preacher that struggles with things that are common to everybody and um, just really passionate about some of the things that we are seeing happening going on in the world right now and feel like we should be using our voices to make all the changes we possibly can until the world gets into a more accurate space uh, of really just loving each other and accepting each other for who God has uniquely designed us to be. Absolutely. So tell us before we get into the spiritual side as a human, because we're, we're all humans as a human, as a man, what are your thoughts of what's been um, happening with um, police brutality and how we've been, though, of course, those things have been happening for years, but now it's so easy to see it because of social media. Um, before you tell me the spiritual side of all of that, can you tell me how that makes you feel um, just watching, if you watch the George Floyd video um, or the, the young man in Atlanta that lost his life over the weekend um, how do those things make you feel? How have they impacted you personally? Person, I was I was grieved. I was sickened. I remember waking up that Tuesday morning at about six in the morning, and I said I saw a notification on my phone from CNN about um, 
the George Floyd instance there in Minneapolis and I went to it and, and watched it in horror and couldn't believe it. And I knew then in my gut that this is evil and there is going to be an expression because of it. Something is going to happen. I didn't know it was going to um, pop off like it has popped off around the world to say, this is a straw that has broken a camel's back. He's another straw, like Martin Luther that nailed the 95 Thesis on the Catholic Church, like Nelson Mandela, who stood up to be a game changer in apartheid, like Rosa Parks, who said, I'm not going to the back of the bus again, like Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who marched and led the way. This thing with George Floyd was another straw. He has become a straw which broke the camel's back to say, um, we have to be heard. So as a, as a man personally, um, I am embarrassed by what I see happening um, on the white side of things. A lot of times I think um, a lot of white people are basically tone deaf in this season. Um, the, the guys that are screaming about, I won't apologize. I didn't do anything wrong. I never owned slave. This, they go all down these roads and see it becomes a disappointment in your peer, so to speak, because you are not able to find enough voices who can transcend the rhetoric and really get to the heart of the matter. And this, this thing with, um, you know, a few years back, there was the young man that was actually killed on a Facebook live video. You know, his girlfriend was sitting there in the car with him and, and that sparked a certain outcry in the nation as well as it relates to police brutality because we watched the police shoot this man sitting in the car happened before our very eyes and um at that point you know i was uh, as a white guy my my first wife was a caucasian i have three white kids and um at that time i was in when this happened on the facebook i was in that relationship with daphne and so i was raising isaiah who was black daphne was black her son was black i was raising him as my son and for the first time i realized that i've I've never had to sit, never crossed my mind to have a conversation with my children, my biological children, my white children. Never once that I think I should have a conversation with them, how they should behave, respond, or react if they ever get stopped by the police. But I thought like, I'm literally gonna have to sit and have a conversation with this kid and say, baby, if the cops ever stop you, listen, this is just what you do. Stop everything, you know, um, put your hands on. You, you almost, it's almost like, just go ahead and pretend to be passive and guilty. Don't ask any questions, don't do anything because the color of your skin and who you are as a human automatically puts you as a, at a disadvantage. And um, as a guy who I think is evolving and maturing and kind of growing in grace and the spirit of how we should be as humans, um, I think that it grieves me as a person to think that we're in 2020 and we really haven't come very far and we've got so much further to go yet there's a demographic of people that are holding on with white knuckles as tight as they can hoping that things uh, won't change so it hurts me I've been drained by this whole thing yeah yeah definitely I, I think I remember you saying something about that on Facebook um, that that thought had never occurred to you and when you and it was so profound because coming from the opposite end, it's like, wow, you know, you, you don't think about the fact that 
everyone doesn't have to have that conversation with their children about what to do when they're, you know, stopped by the police. And it just, it, it was a wake up call because I think, um, you know, for me, I've never seen race. You know, I don't, I just, I love people. You love me. I love you. We're good. So I, I never seen, um, I guess in, in an essence, I'm colorblind, if that makes sense. So, um, it was definitely a wake up call for me. Um, on the spiritual side, and I know you had some very strong opinions, um, <laughs> on your live, which were amazing and hilarious all at the same time, uh, about the spiritual thoughts of what's happening right now. Can you tell us, um, spiritually how everything is occurring in your thoughts on that right now? I think from the, um, and there's a lot of layers to that type, to be honest with you. I mean, we could talk for days about some of the things that are um, happening. I think we are at a tipping point and there is a day of reckoning and that there is an outcry for equality that is way deeper than uh, Republican, Democrat politics, policies, things like that. I really think it is a spiritual outcry because some would say that the original sin of uh, America is the sin of slavery, mm. that there's a root and a stronghold there. And I believe that um, I, I had a lot of um, white evangelicals lose their mind on me in 2018. I remember in January, I put a post out and I said, one of the lies we should stop telling in 2018 is that America is a Christian nation founded on Christian principles. Mm. And they dragged me for days because they wanted to convince me that um, the colonizers uh, came over and uh, left the, the kingdom of Great Britain and all the, the rule there so that they could come and, and worship God freely and stuff like that. And they wrote these powerful spiritual uh, essays on the ships that brought them over. And by the way, when they had slaves locked up in cages with them, they're upstairs somewhere in the nice part of the boat being spiritual and talk about how wonderful they are and how righteous they are because they're leaving this rule of tyranny for a more free expression of worship. These same people come to this nation to bring slaves with them. And then um, they go and rape and pillage and steal and take away from the native Americans what was there. So, we can't have a, a foundation uh, that's built on Christian principles if the behavior of the founders are not Christian in practice. You can't say this is a Christian principle if you don't practice it because to believe the Bible is to behave the Bible. So we, we have deep rooted issues that go all the way back to our founding fathers. And so there's so many people right now that are screaming for uh, the preservation of history to say we can't make changes in monuments and statues and things like that. Um, holding on to uh, things like deep Southern heritage and things like that. And it's all rooted in evil and division and racism. And so for the spiritual aspect of it, I think that we hit a perfect storm. I think we found ourselves as a church. I don't know of any, um, I don't know of any community-based organization, uh, charitable organization or nonprofit organization. I don't know of any of them that have been hit harder by COVID and things than 
uh, the modern church. And that's because it transcended years ago from being um, a charitable organization, a hospital for those that are hurting, help for those that are needy, food for those that are hungry, shelter for those that don't have it. It moved into a much more economical space with the lights and the bells and the whistles and the, the sound and the smoke and the fog and the professional entertainment on the stage and the, uh, you know, the, the Christianese and the conversation. And so the church has gotten deeply off track. So we come to this place and we step into a time of, of pandemic and we literally get kicked out of our building. It's like Jesus came in and fired all the preachers and said, look, you've been talking about getting out this thing for years, get out. And so we're already in the place called crisis. And then we see this thing with George Floyd that happens and it sends us into chaos. And we start hearing these words, equality. We start hearing these words, reformation. We start hearing, hearing the words demanding it's time for change. And from the spiritual side of it, I was really drawn to Matthew chapter 21, where Jesus rides into the city on the donkey. It's on Palm Sunday that everybody preaches the week before Easter. And he rides in and he goes to the temple first. But because the principle is, from a spiritual aspect, the principle is we can't fix the world until we fix the church. We can't expect uh, to save the world with an unsaved church. We can't heal the world with an unhealed church. It's like um, we're sick doctors. And so patients are coming in and we are uh, adding insult to injury because they're coming because they have symptoms and we're infecting them with our germs and our toxicity and those kinds of things. And so that spiritual uh, side in Matthew chapter 21 is that Jesus comes in and he stops at this temple. And one of the first things he does is he starts chasing out the leadership. It is a, uh, it's visibly violent. It's chaotic. He's running like a madman. So we don't have the picture of a gracious, compassionate, loving, merciful Jesus. He looks like a deranged lunatic who is um, just chasing everybody out of place because he needs to create a certain coup in the leadership of that current system. And so we're seeing now that there have been a lot of white evangelicals who have really put their foot in their mouth or they've actually had their heart revealed because they started talking and we started seeing where their heart really was, especially as it related to um, the times that we're living in. And we've seen a number of prominent white leaders who have had their churches built, basically sustained and supported financially um, and in servitude by uh, black congregants who basically have come out and these guys would say, listen, you know, it's been a long time, just get over it. And the awakening of that spiritual pain and we're seeing that guys are getting dragged and guys that are get, getting dropped and people are saying, listen, we're not gonna continue to follow this kind of nonsense. We're in a time of change. So Jesus comes in, kicks those guys out and then he starts turning over uh, the table. You know, obviously, a table uh, in that setting was a place of business transactions because they talked about having money on it. It was a place um, where food is served, which represents your diet or the doctrine or what they're feeding you in this place. Mm -hmm. It's a place of common ground, commonality, where um, it's supposed to be holistic, that everybody can come and sit at the table and we talk about things that need to be talked about. It's a place of business transactions, negotiations, all those things. But he turns it over almost to say the way that, that this thing has been running 
functioning is inaccurate. So we need to overthrow it. It wasn't turning it around. He turned it over. He overthrew it. It is a takeover. The second thing he does is he uh, kicks over the stools. The stool is the place which you, which you put your foot on, which represents spiritually a place of authority. So it's a picture of him kind of uprooting the authority of those that were in leadership and they were committed to continue business as usual and keep feeding the people the crap that they've been feeding them. The third thing that he does is he, um, you know, he turns over the, the, the tables then of the money changers and those that were selling doves. It's an interesting picture because um, up until that point, they were in a, um, the custom of the temple was Jewish letter of the law. So this is before Jesus goes to the cross. And so they're still under a system of sacrifice for sin. So they are living by an, an old covenant mandate that says, you know, there's a particular sacrifice that if you steal something, you've got to pay for it. You've got to return not only what you stole, but you also have to bring to the temple a certain sacrifice. And depending on the level of sin, determine the level of sacrifice. So it might be a bull, a goat, a ram, a sheep, a pigeon, a dove. Um, there were all kinds of things. But that current system had reduced everything down to the dove. The only thing that you were able to buy in that temple was the dove, which spiritually is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. So it's a picture of this church that's out there selling spirituality, selling the Holy Spirit to people, buying your way into miracles and um, manipulating people to make them think that if they uh, spend a couple dimes or give a couple dollars and they uh, feel good in church or they get an emotional charge or they feel like their soul is washed from the sins of the previous week, then, then it's all good and it becomes routine and business as usual. So I think the pandemic was designed to kick us out so that we can step into a place of reformation so that we can come to an accurate model of what the church is actually supposed to look like because we, we need the church and our society to be the leader of what, um, how the world is supposed to uh, respond and react and the church has lost its voice. So I think the spiritual awakening has been a very, very painful one because it made a lot of people realize that they weren't accurate in the current space, especially for the people that we feel like we really need to reach for the future because uh, millennials are not coming to sit in our sanctuaries. If we're going to reach them, we have to reach them on their tablets and on their phones and in their uh, social space and their peer groups. That's where we're going to have to minister to them, but we're been busy literally preaching to the choir for years and so there was a major shakeup, right and then this right. thing happened with um george floyd that causes a volcano an eruption of equality because people are already tired and exhausted by our current governmental leadership which appears to be uh, highly inadequate um almost irrelevant everything changes from day to day there's a spirit of confusion, division, anger, strife in our nation that is unprecedented probably in our lifetime. And we have a void in the vacuum of leadership. And so we're seeing that we have a leader who willingly caters to uh, his crowd and his crowd only. 
as long as I got who, who loves me, that's who I'm going to uh, try to, to benefit and make sure they're okay to hell with everybody else. And so when you find yourself in a world like that, it tells you that there is a deep need for um, spiritual reformation, which then transcends to mind reformation because we can't truly be uh, renewed in our mind without being spiritual and which transcends down to um, the natural realm of reformation. And so I think spiritually, we really have to roll up our sleeves and doing like what I do in my place in the church to say, how have we failed our uh, communities and our brothers and sisters? Why have we not been the voices to champion equality and racial reconciliation? Why do we wait for a pastor to commit suicide, to talk about suicide statistics? Why do we wait for George Floyd to uh, be murdered in broad daylight to talk about it? Why weren't we more proactive when we saw the signs coming in time and time again. And I think the, you know, the crack cocaine of the modern church is tradition and the way that we've always wow. done it. And so um, evolution and progression spiritually requires us to let go of our sacred cows, the things that we've held on to and the way that we've always done things, the disparities um, in race and in gender in the church. And so I think it's a spiritual wake up call for um, the church. I also think that it's an interesting time that we are in because we're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of things that are going on in, uh, the area of, of racism and that trending topic right now has always been a huge one for this nation. And it seems like the voices for equality are getting louder and louder every time we see a scenario that demands it. Um, and then what happens a lot of times is that we as Americans, we go and we protest for a little while, but then after a while we get tired. Right. Um, we, we kind of give up and we just kind of let things go back to where they were. Spiritually, I hope we don't do that this time. I hope we stay the course and we continue to push this thing over the edge that says we've got to raise up a generation of people that regardless of the color of their skin, the gender, um, their creed, their culture, their orientation, their sexual preference or whatever, that we've got to put everybody on uh, an equal playing field and give everybody the opportunity to have the same grace and mercy and the same rights to their choices that we have, whether we agree with them or not. So we have to mature spiritually to get to that place to realize that I don't have to agree with you to love you and to respect you. Um, and that part of me loving you has to be willing to come into a place where I'm willing to listen to you. I'm willing to sit down and open myself to awareness to your experience so that I can bear your burden so that when you rejoice, I can rejoice with you. But when you weep, I can weep with you at the same time. I think there is a, um, I think there is a day of reckoning that's coming to, um, the church as we see it and, and, uh, 
what's happening on the, the racial side of things. It's interesting because even with this George Floyd thing, we're seeing an outcry from the black community to say to their fellow black, black brothers and sisters, listen, leave those white evangelical churches that don't care anything about you. They, um, they've been saying for years that they won't say black lives matters, but they say black tithes matters. And you know, mm. they want to live in that space and take because they can, but they're not willing to stand up and say, teach me, help me. How do I change my mind and change my ways so that we are more accurate? And so there's even spiritually on the church side of things, a demand and an outcry for either reformation that leads to true equality or change that says we're not going to keep functioning the way that we've always functioned. It's no longer going to be business as usual. So I think it is a chaotic spiritual season, actually. Um, and I think the judgment is coming to uh, the church. There's a scripture that says judgment must begin at the house of God. And so I think he has to judge us first and judge our hearts and judge the way that we've been doing things and see if there's any wickedness in us. And obviously there is because it's being exposed. It's like, you know, um, hearts are being revealed and relationships are being uh, destroyed and people are fussing and fighting um, in social spaces and the media and virtual spaces like we've never seen. Right. It's a wake up call. And I know I've been yammering on for a long time there, but I also want to throw something out that I think is it is worth consideration. There's a scripture that says the sins of the fathers visit to the third and fourth generations, which basically we have taught as a generational trend. Some people would either call it uh, in that aspect, they would call it generational curses. So, and we see it on a scientific side of things. The, the tendency is if you grow up in an alcoholic household, you have a greater propensity to become an alcoholic yourself. Right. If you grow up in a household of poverty, you have a greater chance of being poor yourself. Mm -hmm. You grow up in an, an abusive household. You have a greater tendency to be an abuser yourself. And so we, we say things like, well, that runs in the family. For some, it's divorce. For some, it's, it's you know, abuse or alcoholism, some of the things we've talked about. Right. So if we can kind of see that through a spiritual lens, but also through a natural lens, what that does is then bring some kind of validity to that to say, okay, this might actually be a thing. So if the sins of the fathers visit to the third and fourth generations, the sins of our forefathers in this nation with what they did to the natives and what they did to slaves. I don't think we've ever reap the harvest from those seeds that were sown. Because if we believe Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked whatsoever. An all-inclusive term there, whatsoever man sows that he will reap. 
So the principle is if I plant tomatoes, I get tomatoes. If I plant corn, I get corn. If I plant love, I get love. But if I plant hate, I get hate. Right. If I plant slavery, I'm going to reap a harvest of enslavement at some point. If I plant inequality, I'm going to reap that at some point. And America has not dealt with that original sin, I don't think, spiritually. I don't think there has been a come to Jesus meeting um, with the nation that has said, we have got to really wake up and repent for what we did because our forefathers planted seed and we are reaping the harvest. Their seeds were evil and now the you know the chickens have come home to roost and we've got to sit up and we've got to be willing to deal with it. And spiritually we've got a bunch of people who are saying no we don't want to deal with it. Um, just get over it. Just let it go. Just move on. Just don't talk about it anymore. And we know that nothing can be fixed. Can you imagine being in a relationship and the key to every problem is okay let's not talk about it right <laughs> that's gonna last forever <laughs> yeah because at some point if you don't talk about it nothing is ever going to change but it's a difficult conversation to have uh, because there are uh, unrighteous aspects that right. need to be addressed there are roots of embedded sin that need to be dealt with and so spiritually, our tank is empty in America. We are running on fumes. And we bought into the culture of Republican and Democrat and uh, gay and straight and this and that, rather than just brother and sister and that we are one and that there's truly one race, the human race acts that says um, every person under the sun comes from one blood and so spiritually we have to come back into that place of really just unconditional love okay. radical grace mercy compassion for our um, fellow human and the reality that in the realm of the spirit there is no Jew nor Greek male nor female bond nor free nor white nor black we're one so we see a fragmented, ripped to shred uh, body that we call the church that's broken and desperately needing healing. So spiritually speaking, we're in desperate need of reformation. Right. Right. Um, it's funny, not like funny haha that you mentioned um, the church and um some of the evangelical pastors talking about slavery there's a very famous pastor that is under fire right now because of some comments he made about slavery yep. um do you care to address kind of what he said and where you stand with that just because it's so relevant to the conversation right now yeah, I think that's one of those uh, scenarios where that is one of those tone deaf scenarios where you you don't know how to say what you should be saying and, and when to say it. And what you said really reveals uh, your heart. And so 
Um, the dragging that he's getting is well-deserved because um, that congregation, I'm very familiar with that. I used to attend years ago um, his services back in the, the 90s, and I would go out there and participate, and I loved it. I loved what he was doing. And then probably about 10 years or so ago, everything shifted to his program being basically an infomercial and everything about raising mm -hmm. money and dollars. And it became a very strong economic um, engine. And so in my opinion, he literally came out there and was one of the ones that said, uh, basically just get over it. He was almost championing our founding fathers to say, mm -hmm. you know, let's don't speak evil of their legacy and uh, vouching for them. Oh, you know what? They must've been good people because at some point, because of, of whatever they decided to give up their slaves. And they even said that he, this is one of the things he, he said, and I quote, he said, some of them even freed their slaves upon their death. And I'm like, wait a second. If I come to you and tell you that you're my slave, but until I die, that's not freeing you. Not How is that letting you go because you only go upon my death? It's just this whole statement was, was weird and off and I think was... Um, a bit arrogant to tell people how they should be feeling in this moment and what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. But it revealed the heart. And then the apology was almost worse than <laughs> the statement because the apology, I don't think, was sincere. I think it was damage control. I think it was because there were a lot of people who said, you know, we're done. You start losing partners, you start losing dollars. And then you apologize because you're selfish, not because your heart has changed, but because now you realize the revealing of your heart is going to cost you. And so I think, and he's not the only one, there've been a few prominent um, white evangelicals who have stepped out there and made statements that really revealed where they are and their lack of being, you know, this generation would call it woke. I'm like, man, you are, you are Rip Van Winkle for real because you are fast asleep because you don't even know what the hell is happening in the world around you. And you're going to come out and tell people just to get over it and let it go. And let's not forget the incredible history. No, we have to revisit the spiritual history of this nation and deal with it on some levels to say how we built this place wasn't right from the beginning and at right. some point it's going to implode and if we see it implode in our lifetime why why try to hold it together why not just tear the thing down and build it again that's why even roman says don't be conformed to this world but be transformed renovated renewed by the um renewing the renovation of your mind change by changing your mind do the the hard work uproot tear out pull out all of those um systems of, of limiting thought that put people in different uh, categories because of skin tones and things like that root that stuff out of your heart that's deep in there and so i think that um i think that the wake-up call to guys like him is well deserved i think people like that need to be put in check because he's been benefiting from the black church for decades Mm -hmm. And then to realize that he has no real awareness of why black people feel consistently, continually, forever discriminated against, not just because of a George Floyd thing. It's not like that 
um, is is a random or isolated incident, and everybody's just mad about that. It's it's those kinds of things that um, rip open a plethora of, of wounds and disenfranchisement, and all kinds of things like that. And so, I think he just doesn't get it and didn't realize that he can't come out there as a lecturer and tell people how to feel and stand up as a white guy and say, okay, basically it felt like to me, and this is me just being honest, it felt mm -hmm. like to me he was saying, okay, black guys, just go home and behave and just settle down and just stop all this because you're going to tear up our nation, the good nation that we built for you. That's what it felt like to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's powerful to hear you say that's how it felt to you because that's how it felt to me, but it's different when I say it than when you say it, you know? Wow. Um, yeah, there was, um, I don't remember who the pastor was, but there was uh, an artist that was on a, on a show recently, um, a, a black Christian artist, and a pastor said something along the lines of slavery being okay as well. And it just seems to be, um, well, he was under fire because he didn't correct the pastor, which I felt like he's one person that probably wouldn't have been the right thing to do. Um, but it seems to be a big thing lately um, and very disappointing that some of the um, vanilla, because, you know, I love saying I like flavors better. <laughs> some of the vanilla flavor, some of the vanilla pastors have just kind of like glossed over everything that's happening right now when the people that are in your pulpit don't look like you. Mm. And right now we're, you know, not to say that everyone isn't hurting, but you know, it's, it's more of a deep rooted heart issue. Now it's more of fear, you know, of, li of us living in fear every day. Um, even with Brianna Taylor being shot in her home, she wasn't, doing anything wrong. She was asleep. Right. right. Um, you know, it's like, they're not understanding that it's almost like we have no peace right now because we're scared to go out. If we drive and we get pulled over, you know, we can do all the right things and still not, you know, be alive. We can't be asleep in our own home doing nothing wrong, um, without fear of what could happen. And you would hope and expect them to come with a message of hope. And instead, they're showing us that it hasn't really affected them. So it seems like it, they don't care. If that makes it's sense. It's so out of balance to me because we'll see um, them post about um, rioters and looters, but say nothing about the murder of George Floyd. Right. You know, um, completely out of touch and, and off balance. Uh, and I think there is a need for a conversation. I don't think that it's normal for um, a white person to sit down with a um, black group of people, uh, or for that matter, we can go on and say, um, you know, the, those of us in the spiritual community to sit down with someone who's transgender, sit down with someone who's um, openly gay or sit down with someone who is 
uh, an illegal immigrant. Sit down with, you know, all of these specific classes that are being um, vilified and uh, are victims mm-hmm. at the hands of white power. Right. And say, why do you feel the way that you feel? Help me understand. And I think when we see that those guys have been more than happy to have, um, you know, the the black people sing because man, they can really sing, or black people serve because oh, they're so loyal, or the black people, um, you know, really know how to respect the man of God and things like. Okay, you guys, you've been saying all that for years, but you're not going to sit down and say, okay, maybe it's important that I start and listen to them and find out what life is really like and what their experiences are and why George Floyd felt like a brother to them or an uncle to them or a cousin. Why, even though they didn't know him, it felt like family because somebody in their family has probably been down that road, been treated that way before. And I think right. a lot of people that are vanilla just don't have a reference point for that. And it seems that they don't care. It seems like there's a, a void of, of uh, empathy and compassion and a willingness to sit. And I see it because my social media um, is predominantly black, but there are uh, quite a few, um, you know, I've got quite a few white Karens on there that are, you know, pro Trump and everything he does is he's God's man and this and that and looters go home and things like that. not saying anything about you know the need for you know they're always on the side of the police and things like that not really willing to stop and say if there are this many people around the world that are moved to a place of passion to protest and to make a difference in the society that we live in demand change can that many people really be wrong? Can't we stop and say, maybe they're onto something here. Maybe we need to stop for a minute and really listen and hear the heart. And maybe we really need to rise up as a people and demand this change to come. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Man, oh man. It's, Sometimes you just have no words and just have to sit in the silence of how all, all, how heavy everything really is right now. Um, I did want to ask you your thoughts because I've, I've asked everybody, um, especially with you being a veteran, what your thoughts were on Kaepernick initially when he started his protests and if your thoughts have changed now. I got dragged for that one as well because I I um, put out a post when that happened and, and um, my my stance was on this. Um, I love my country. I served mm-hmm. my country. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't always agreed with it. Um, in this season, I'm quite embarrassed by it. To be honest mm-hmm. with you, the way that America is viewed in the world is not the way that. Um, it always was. And so uh, that American uh, pride and esteem is not as, as strong as it used to be. And that's because I realize how jacked up we are and how much we need to change. And my position was that whether I agree with him 
uh, kneeling during the national anthem or not, it's not really the bigger issue. The issue is I fought for this nation, for his right to be able to do that. And I respect his right to be able to do that because I also understood that there would be foreigners in that same stadium who weren't going to put their hand on their heart and sing our anthem. And it's not because they hate America or they're evil people or anything else. It's just like, they're not Americans. They don't have to buy into everything. They don't have to conform uh, to everything that we're doing. And I think that um, now with everybody that's coming out to say, hey, you know what? Um, Doesn't matter whether or not we think Kaepernick was right or wrong. What we missed was his right. That's a good thing. Uh, That's one good thing about um, America is that you still do have the right to be right or the right to be wrong. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you have the right to do that. And I I think it should have been uh, protected from the jump, especially when you make it clear to say, this is why I'm doing this. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with me disrespecting um, old glory. (laughs) What this has to do with is me saying that we're not a glorious people. Um, we can wave our flag and our banners and we can sit here and we can pretend like everything is good and we can go on with our day and watch uh, millionaires chase each other up and down the field for a ball. But why don't we remember that there are people outside of the stadium that are being shot and killed and mistreated by a system that still has strong holds of, of white power and oppression and the day needs to change. So I supported um, his decision to do that. Right. I love it. I know you talked about it in your live, but if you don't mind, you touched on um, the removal of the statues and your thoughts on people, mostly of vanilla flavor, who were offended by hearing the term Black Lives Matter. Would you mind touching on, on that so the listeners can hear it as well before they go to your live? And then hopefully they'll go to your live. <laughs> well, I think, you know, the, the real gist of that was for me to say um, that there is a spiritual significance to monuments or memorials. Whenever you would see them built in the Bible, it was where God would say, build an altar here so that you'll remember what I did. And so that when you bring your children around, you can rehearse in their ears what I did in this place. And so it became a testimony to God's faithfulness, to God's goodness, whether it was the stones in the Jordan River or um, an altar at Mizpah, wherever it was, God would say, mark this moment, build something here as a reminder of what happened so that you don't forget. Because in that time we're declaring the word of God, the will of God, from generation to generation. They were passing it down through stories and through metaphors and through uh, their history. And so we see that there are these strategic um, Confederate icons or images. I call them in the live graving images um, that are erected in places to pay homage or to give honor to people who were Confederate generals, slave owners, bought and sold people, treated them like animals and dogs. And 
I don't think that there's a place in a current modern evolving society to honor uh, places, people like that. And I compared it to the same people that cheered when we pulled down the statue of Saddam Hussein, a bunch of white evangelical Republicans were jumping up and down, dancing in the streets when they saw Saddam fall. They were happy. They were like, yeah, let's hook the chains up to the tanks and let's pull him down. But you go take one of their Confederate generals and all of a sudden they get their feelings hurt. What's the difference? Both are, were oppressors. Both had um, dictator tendencies. Both abused and mistreated people. Both killed people and bought and sold people, enslaved people. So it's the hypocrisy of championing one and uh, criticizing the other. And I think it was um, me simply saying that we know that taking these down are not going to sanitize our history. You can go find it in a book, but you don't need those kind of reminders. And I was looking at the, the hurt factor in that. And I was talking about the days where in America, until the 70s, um, you could fly on an airplane, smoke a cigarette. Mm -hmm. and then somebody discovered about secondhand smoke and the dangers of lung cancer and realized that what that person is doing, sitting three seats away from me, smoking a cigarette, is hurting me. I don't have to participate in that. I don't have to be victimized by that. We can change our laws and say, he doesn't have the right to do things that are going to hurt me. And I think those statues are a very painful and hurtful reminder to a lot of people. And I don't think we know, I think we no longer have the right to maintain them when we know how offensive uh, they are. So I am for banning the Confederate flag. I'm for taking those, um, those down. And I think the memorials that we built should be memorials um, that speak of honor and speak of valor and speak of courage and speak of areas that we are proud about something that's worth um remembering right i agree i agree wholeheartedly thank you for touching on that because it was it was um very profound to hear the um the biblical reference to the statues for me, because that was something that I'd never thought about. I just knew personally, um, it almost felt like an intimidation factor growing up in the South, you know, these big statues from, you know, and seeing Confederate flags everywhere. It's just like, Hey, you're not that free. You're not, you never go get that far. Right. You know, just no, that's how I felt growing up. Um, but I never thought about it from a biblical standpoint. Um, one more, one more question, and then I'm gonna let you go. Um, a good friend of mine, Aaron, that um, is a vanilla variety in Augusta. We were having a chat um, about everything going on, and she said, "Well, Ty, I just don't, I don't know what to do. Like, I keep praying because um, I don't know how to help." anything right now I don't know how to um, she doesn't know how to approach um, black and brown people right now like she's like I don't know how to help the cause I just know my heart is hurting and I just keep praying for God to show me what to do um, and I think that has been 
a common question of all of my friends who are of vanilla variety. Um, they're just saying, I don't, I don't know what to do. Um, how do you think being a, you being a champion for the people, for righteousness, um, for love, how do you feel like we, um, well, let me not say we, how can my friends of vanilla variety, how can we reach across and understand each other and help heal each other in this difficult time? Do you have any ideas about that? I do. I think that she's um, off on the right foot and, and that is by rather than making statements, ask questions. Mm -hmm. mm. Ask people, you know, how can I help? How can I get involved? Um, I do know that, you know, it's some, some uh, white people are afraid of uh, pushback if they even go and type Black Lives Matters. You know, they're, they're afraid of, of what that's going to mean, the people going to get in their inbox and the, the hurt or, or whatever is going to uh, be offensive to certain people that they're connected to. So, so they're, you know, a little bit cautious about that. And I, I wouldn't even say, you know, necessarily be bold and, and go ahead and type it anyway. What I would say is that you probably should type it, but if that's where your activism stops, it never really started. Mm. It takes more than just saying something on a video or typing something on the screen. Um, there's no reason why um, Caucasian people can't contact uh, Urban League. They can't. They can reach out to NAACP. They can reach out to um, equality organizations in their neighborhood. They can go to the meetings. They can show up as a supporter. They can come and they can find. A leadership or people and say I don't know what to do or how to do it but I want to help I want to learn what can I do and how can I be involved and then get active get active in a pro-black organization and mm -hmm. they should not be afraid of that term pro-black because pro-black doesn't mean anti-white it just simply means that we need to pour a little bit more effort into our ideology and to make sure that um, blacks in this nation do at some point come to a place of equality and so i would encourage activism uh, the protest and to uh, get involved and stay a part of the conversation volunteer uh, you know find out where there are needs in the urban community and go start meeting those needs and do it um, with a humble heart, not out of pride, not out of arrogance, not that I have something to offer you, but truly to say, I'm here to serve. Key, how can I serve? How can I wash your feet in this season? How can I help bear your burdens? I think that's... Um, a great place to start for uh, people who are Caucasian. Get involved in something that doesn't look like you. Mm. I love it. I love it. Well, before we um, close out, would you mind closing this out in a word of prayer? 
Absolutely. Father, thank you so much for this time today and for all that will hear this podcast. I pray that they would not hear and just the voice of myself and Ty, but they would hear your heart, Father, and that it would be revealed. I pray that you would heal our land and help us. It's obvious that we are desperate for your guidance and for your wisdom. So we lean into you, not our own understanding, trusting that in all of our ways, you're going to direct our path. And we leverage this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to talk with me today. I greatly appreciate it. Um, I'm over here choking back on tears, but you know, I'm a bit of a crier anyway, <laughs> but, um, I'm so appreciative for, uh, you sharing, um, the word of God in this season right now, because there's so many of us who are hurting. Um, the whole nation is hurting, whether they realize it or not, you know, we're, we're broken and we're hurting and we need, um, that word of truth and hope. So thank you so very much. You're very welcome. I love you so much. I miss you. And it's so good to hear your voice and to be on uh, your podcast. I'm deeply honored. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Love you so much. Miss you. Hopefully I get to see you soon. It's been a few years now. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have to see how big Tally is now. She's almost as tall as me. Yeah. Can you believe it? Been a minute. <laughs> I look forward but, to it. Yeah. I look By the way, to I just got an invitation to... Um, Charlotte. So I'll let you know if, if they uh, follow through on it and um, we'll grab awesome. dinner yeah. or something. Yeah. That would be awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much again. Um, I appreciate you. Oh, would, what was your, um, your church or your website? If you'd like to shout any of that out before we close. Um, the, the, I tell you what, they would be better off just to follow me. Um, I'm, I'm a different Kevin on my personal page than I am on my church page. <laughs> and so um, to get the, um, the the real and the raw, it's probably best just to, to follow me on uh, Facebook is where I, I kind of uh, do what I do. I'm a bit random, a hit and miss between uh, comedy and satire and, and things that are spiritual. So I'm, I'm a bit get so on my page, but it's it's a fun <laughs> ride usually. Truly, truly be ready to cry, to to nod your head aggressively in agreement, to, I mean, just, yeah, it's never a dull moment on his page. I'll drop the link in the comments. So thank you so much again. Thank you. And thank until you. next time. Thanks for joining me this week on Tea Talk with Ty. I would love to connect with you. I am on all social media platforms at I am Ty Wonder and online at tywonder.guru. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave me a review so I can continue to bring you fresh content. See you next week. started Tea Talk with Ty, I was so nervous of how to make it all work. But let me tell you about the program that made it so easy for me. It was Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's absolutely the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free 99. You can't beat free 99. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, Google, everywhere. 
Did I mention you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership? What? It's everything you need to make a podcast in absolutely one place. So take that leap, start that podcast, go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.